Hi folks, Dan Wenzel of Seed of Our Pants Players. I apologize for the fact that you haven't heard a lot from us in the past month or two. Um, things got kind of crazy with scheduling and so forth, and I hope to rectify that soon. I owe you at least one month with two audio dramas. It's coming very shortly. I just have to, you know, contact people and beg them for their time, and I apologize for that. Uh, but what you're about to hear is a very old story at least in terms of my life. Uh, I went through a phase where I was reading Grimm's fairy tales and decided to write one. And as I look at what I have written and hear the gravelliness in my voice from the, uh, from the Renaissance Fair I just finished, this is going to be interesting, but I hope you will enjoy it uh, for what it is. This is a simple bedtime story for children who really don't want to go to bed anytime soon. Once upon a time, in a kingdom neither far nor near, there lived a great king. Great, that is, in the sense that he could swallow half a ham without chewing it, and could shout so loud that any man could hear him, and he was so fat that he could lie in three rooms at once when he had a mind to. For as long as he lived, the kingdom was at peace, for all his foes were terrified of this great man. And so all was well. The king was fierce and just, his heir, the prince, strong and courageous, and if the story were to end here, you should think me a terrible storyteller. The king died one day, as all kings do eventually. He choked upon a three-quarters ham and died shortly thereafter. Though the people were sad to see him go, except the royal butcher and the royal bedmaker, whose jobs had just become that much easier, there was little cause for weeping. For the young prince, who was healthy as an ox, soon took the throne. And if the story were to end here, you should think me an even worse storyteller. But all was not to be well in the kingdom. The prince soon became sick with a disease that normally only afflicted oxen. As he grew sick, the people were in distress, for the next in line to the throne was the prince's uncle, who happened to be the most wicked, foul, virulent man in the kingdom. The advisors to the prince were full of brilliant ideas to solve the problem. One said that the prince should marry a beautiful princess, but none were willing to marry the sick prince, but a few snob-nosed princesses who only wanted the prince's land. Another advisor said the prince should marry an ugly princess, but no princess was willing to admit she was ugly, and no one answered the advertisements. A third advisor suggested the prince marry any woman who was willing to turn a blind eye to the bovine illness. But the only women who answered that call were sorely uneducated, and most of them smelled faintly of manure. The last advisor suggested the kingdom become a democracy and vote in a new leader. But he gave this advice from inside a lunatic asylum, so not one person paid much attention. The prince was understandably a bit distraught, and not just because he was suffering from the same ailment as a two-ton grass-eating slob of a beast. He saw no recourse but to leave the kingdom to his uncle, so he arranged a trip to visit the old man, thinking that maybe, just maybe, he wasn't as bad as everyone said. When he saw the heads of cute bunny rabbits mounted on pikes, the prince turned around and went home. Things looked very bleak, which is why the prince prayed for a miracle— he got one, of course, but the parting of the waters of the sea beside the king did nothing to relieve his illness and annoyed the fishermen terribly. So the prince tried again, this time asking for health. The lord said no, which was a bit of a disappointment, but he did usually know what he was doing, so the prince trusted his judgment. The lord did suggest to the prince that he give some thought about what made a good heir to the throne, so the prince began to do just that. He wrote down a list of all the great qualities of a prince or princess. He put words like wisdom and compassion and resistant to livestock disease. Then the prince presented the list to his court, 
and said that whomever lived up to those qualifications would be the new heir to the throne. This caused quite a bit of turmoil among the members of the court, and indeed the whole kingdom. Two knights stepped forward and begged the prince to let them search the kingdom for the person who could fit that description. The prince said, "'What are you waiting for? Go!' The two knights, who happened to be brothers, came to a road with two branches. Said the elder, "'I will ride to the east, and you shall ride west, and thus we shall cover more ground. If you find an heir, ride back with all haste.' And so the brothers parted, one to the east, where the mountains grew from the ground in great treacherous rocky paths, and one to the west, where a deep foreboding forest stood. Meanwhile, the prince sent messages to the snob-nosed princesses to see if they might reconsider him since he turned them down earlier, but he got no reply. The youngest knight valiantly rode his horse deep into the forest. As he peered into the vast darkness, he spied a bird whose eggs were under assault from a huge serpent. Drawing his sword, he slew the serpent, cutting off its head, and out of its belly crawled a squirrel. "'Thank you ever so much, good knight,' said the squirrel. "'Yes, a thousand thanks, sir knight,' said the bird. "'Bugger off,' said the head of the serpent before it died. The young knight was unaccustomed to being spoken to by animals, but thought very little ill could come of it. "'You are welcome, good friends. I must now away, for I seek an heir to the throne.' "'Really?' said the squirrel. "'What sort of an heir do you have in mind?' The knight rattled off the list of qualities on the prince's scroll. "'Hmm,' said the bird. "'It may be that we know of such a one, "'but she lives deep inside the woods "'and is guarded by a witch, a dragon, and a talking tree.' "'Will you show me the way to her, my friends?' "'Follow my tail,' said the squirrel, "'and my sister bird shall fly above us.' "'You two are sisters?' "'Long story involving an angry wizard. "'I'll tell it to you sometime,' said the bird. "'And so deep into the forest they went. "'Meanwhile, the prince began sending letters out to the neighboring kingdoms, saying that if they had any immediate plans to conquer his kingdom, could they please do it soon before his uncle came to power. The elder knight pressed on into the mountains. As he moved cautiously among the rocks, he spied an ugly troll who had seized a hawk by the talon. With a single motion, the knight drew his sword and thrust it deep into the monster's heart. As the troll fell to the ground, out of its food pouch crawled a tiny mouse. "'Many thanks, noble sir,' said the hawk. "'Indeed, brave knight, many thanks,' said the mouse. The knight, unused to talking animals, briefly considered ditching his quest and beginning a career as a circus hawker, but nobility eventually won out. "'You are welcome, good friends. I must now away, for I seek an heir to the throne.' "'What sort of an heir are you looking for?' said the hawk. The knight rattled off the list of qualities the prince sought. "'I hadn't realized that Good Speller would be on that list,' said the mouse. "'Or always washes behind ears,' said the hawk. "'Oh, yes, trust me, it's crucial,' replied the knight. "'Well, it may be that we can lead you to a suitable heir,' said the mouse. "'But he lives high in the mountains, and is guarded by a wizard, a griffin, and a talking boulder. "'Will you take me to him?' "'Follow my tail feathers,' said the hawk. "'And place my brother Mouse in your saddlebags.' "'You two are brothers?' "'Long story involving an angry gin. "'I'll tell it to you sometime,' said the mouse. "'And so they departed on their way to the top of the mountain. "'Meanwhile, the prince sent letters to his neighbor's neighbors, "'asking them to please conquer his neighbors "'and then come right on through into his kingdom. "'The youngest knight soon met with a talking tree. "'Ah, ah, ah!' cackled the tree. "'I alone know the correct path to the one you seek, "'and I will never tell, never, ah!' Uh, 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 what are you doing? 
sharpening the axe I used to cut firewood, responded the knight. All right, all right, she's in the first haunted witch's hovel to your left, you can't miss it. But that axe will do you no good against the dragon, for his scales are harder than steel. Talks a lot, doesn't he? said the squirrel. Meanwhile, the prince sent letters of apologies to his neighbors for starting several wars and offered them his kingdom as payment. The older prince soon came upon the talking boulder. Ah, 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 said the boulder. Only I know the path to the one you seek, and I shall never tell, never. Ah, 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 what are you doing? I passed a miner with a pickaxe about a mile back there. I'm going to go borrow it. All right, all right. Second haunted wizard's tower on your right. You can't miss it. But that pickaxe will not help you against the griffin, for she is swifter than the wind. Babbles a bit, doesn't he? said the hawk. Meanwhile, the prince was sighing as his messengers reported that all of his neighbors had gone to war over which one would get the kingdom. After a brief march, the youngest knight came upon the dragon, who had wrapped himself protectively around the witch's hovel. It is a great beast. See, his scales are hard as steel. No man may hope to slay him alone, said the knight. Perhaps you shall not need, said the squirrel. Wait here. I shall return soon. When the squirrel returned, he carried a large walnut. Feed this to the dragon, he said. The knight picked up the walnut and threw it towards the dragon, who greedily snatched it up and swallowed it. A moment later, the dragon fell to the earth and began to snore. He shall not wake again until next Tuesday, said the squirrel, for I have drugged him with a powerful sleeping potion. Where did you get a sleeping potion? Why do you think the wizard was angry? And so they crept past the dragon into the witch's hovel. Meanwhile, the prince sent his army to reinforce his neighbors to the west, who were losing badly to the kingdom of the north. The elder knight then came upon the griffin, who paced anxiously in front of the wizard's tower. It is a great beast. See, she moves as quick as the wind. No man may hope to slay her alone. Perhaps you shall not need, replied the hawk. Wait here. I shall return. When the hawk returned, he carried a bit of rotting meat, which he dropped in front of the griffin. Quick as a blink, the beast had snatched it up and devoured it. A moment later, it fell to the ground and began to snore. He will not wake until a week from Friday, said the hawk, for I have drugged him with a powerful sleeping potion. Where did you get a sleeping potion? I had some left over from when I tried to drug the gin. And so they crept past the griffin into the wizard's tower. Meanwhile, the prince received word that in one of the greatest strategic blunders of all time, his army had conquered both the western and northern kingdoms. The youngest knight, sword drawn, quickly entered the witch's hovel. He had not gone far when he met the woman he sought. She was a dainty, beautiful maid with dark hair and eyes the color of storm clouds. She moved about the hovel, cheerily cleaning the witch's laboratory. As she worked, she sang a happy tune in a voice so clear and sweet the squirrel nearly wept. But over a smoking cauldron stood the witch, who was as ugly as the girl was beautiful. Warts grew on her face like mushrooms, and it might have been that a few of them were mushrooms. Long calloused fingers, a different number on each hand, stirred the inky black contents of the foul-smelling cauldron. Who I she demanded of the knight. I am the knight of his highness the prince, and I come seeking this young maid, for she has all the qualities of a great heir. Who? said the maiden. Me? Including modesty. You may not have her, sir knight, 
for I would have her remain here to brighten my heart with her singing. And what is your wish, sweet maiden, said the knight? Freedom, sir. I have been here many long years, and though I have been happy for the most part, I am rather tired of singing until I am hoarse. And though I don't mind cleaning the floors, you really should see the stuff that bubbles out of that cauldron. I have to use a spatula hat that enough, cried the witch, and with a wave of her hand she froze the knight to his spot, so he could not move so much as an eyelash. And now you shall suffer. Oh, with my powers I shall turn you into a slug. Then I will call the weather to rain salt upon you until you are shriveled to death. With that, the witch began a slow chant of magical words, but the bird flew at her and pulled at her hair so that she got the words wrong, and before you could say Jack Munster, the witch had turned herself into a fluffy orange kitten. The knight was freed from his enchantment, and he respectfully guided the princess out of her hovel. Come, gentle maiden, said the knight, we must away to the prince. Meanwhile the prince heard the dubiously good news that the southern kingdom had conquered the eastern kingdom. The eldest knight his war-hammer at the ready, quietly made his way up the winding stairs of the wizard's tower. As he neared the top, he spied the man he sought. He was a lean, clever lad with hair the color of wheat and deep brown eyes. He moved about the tower with a light step, whistling a merry tune as he dusted. So sweet was this tune that the hawk was reduced to size. But gazing deep into his smoky crystal ball was the wizard, and he was as old and shriveled as the boy was healthy. Great wrinkles, some deepest canyons, covered his face. Dark, bloodshot eyes, each one a different color, stared endlessly into the black crystal. "'Welcome, brave knight,' said the wizard, never taking his eyes from the crystal. "'You have traveled long in search of an heir to the throne, and you hope my little servant will fit the part.' "'Yes,' said the knight. "'I know. "'However,' I do not think I shall let you take him. He is quite industrious, and he whistles so sweetly. And what do you say, young lad? said the knight. I've been cleaning up after his griffin for most of my life, said the boy. If you're offering an alternative, I say great. Enough, cried the wizard, and with a wave of his hand he froze the knight to the spot so he could not move so much as a toe. And now you shall suffer. For with my powers I will turn you into a fish, and watch you struggle for air until you are dead. With that, the wizard began a slow, rhythmic dance of magical steps. But the mouse scurried across the floor and bit the wizard on the leg, so that he got the steps wrong. And before you could say Jill Cheddar, the wizard had turned himself into a snow-white dove. The knight was freed from his enchantment, and quickly guided the young man out of his tower. Come, dear lad, said the knight. We must await the prince. Meanwhile, the prince was desperately trying to surrender to the envoy from the southern kingdom. He told him that the royal family had died in an unexpected plague, and as the only surviving person of royal blood, the prince was now in charge of that kingdom as well, and therefore an emperor. While the prince was mortified, his uncle rather liked the sound of that. The poor sick emperor was tired, and decided to lie down for a while. The two brother knights met again on the road, and happily shared the tales of their adventures that they had each undergone. "'But which of these shall we present to the prince?' said the younger knight, who did not know of the prince's promotion. "'Both. Let's let his highness choose, for royal wisdom is more great than ours.' 
And so, with a merry heart and making several wages as to which of their charges would be chosen, the bold knights continued on until they came to the court. When the emperor was awakened, the illness and considerable stress had brought him near unto death. He smiled weakly at the two sweet youths before him. How may I choose between two such as these? said the emperor. I shall set you each a task and see how you fare. Then he turned to the maiden and said, Two of my barons have been arguing over fishing rights in the sea next to my kingdom. Both demand that the other's boats be driven from the sea, but both claims are as ancient. How may you solve this? Let them be brought before me tomorrow morning, replied the maid. Then she turned to the knight who had brought her to the court and said, Ride with all speed and bring me the witch's cauldron. And swift as thought, he pressed his horse and soon returned with the cauldron. The next morning, the baron stood in front of the maid, who instructed each of them to hold out his hand. She then smeared the inky black substance from the cauldron on their hands, and clasped the two barons together, hand on hand. I alone know how to separate you from each other now, she turned to the guards. Let them be locked together in a room. Until they have settled their dispute, let none see them, and if either man should do harm to the other, the right shall go to the other one. All was done as she had said and within an hour the barons agreed to share the waters. The maid then sent them to the kitchen, where the cook was able to separate them with a spatula. "'Well done,' said the emperor. "'Now, you young lad, many months ago my chamberlain told me that robbers had stolen my favorite golden amulet, yet none have been able to find those who stole away with it. How may you recover it?' "'Let me make my answer tomorrow,' said the lad." Then he turned to the knight who had rescued him and said, Ride with all speed and bring me back the wizard's crystal. And swift as a blink, he pressed his horse and soon returned with the crystal. The next morning, the lad called the chamberlain into the king's presence. Have no fear, good sir. Your honor shall soon be restored. For as I gaze into this crystal, I shall see the face of the man who stole the amulet. With a cry, the chamberlain fell to the ground and confessed that the story of the robbers was false, but that he had stolen the amulet himself. The lad ordered his chambers to be searched, and soon the amulet was recovered. The emperor dismissed the chamberlain and banished him from the kingdom. "'Well done,' said the emperor. "'But now I may make no decision, for I find both suitable heirs.' Just then a messenger arrived at court, all out of breath, and with shoes that were worn away at his speed in coming. "'Your imperial majesty, I regret to inform you that your uncle, hearing of these youths, has revolted from your rule. He has raised a great army, far stronger than ours. He sends half here to conquer you, and the other half keeps him safe in his castle.' "'Even if our army were not in another kingdom,' said the emperor, "'they could not hope to stand against such a force. Young friends, all is lost.' I shall soon have no kingdom to make you an heir of. But the youths simply shook their heads. With fleet feet, they rushed to their protector knights. The young maiden rode back to her hovel, and the young man to his tower. The lad said to the elder knight, Pull at the griffin's head until he faces the army of the emperor's uncle. The knight, with all his might, tugged and pulled until the griffin was pointed correctly. Then the lad unchained it, took an axe, and cut off the very tip of its tail. The griffin woke immediately and ran down the mountain where it collided with the invading army. And within moments the army was scattered, and the griffin flew into the misted mountains, never to be seen again. Meanwhile, the maiden told the youngest knight, 
pull at the dragon's head until it faces the evil duke's castle. The knight, with all his strength, pulled and struggled until the dragon was pointed correctly. Then the princess untied him and plucked a scale from his tail. The dragon woke immediately and rushed out of the woods until he struck the castle headlong. The foundation of the castle cracked under such a force, and the stones crumbled so that the emperor's uncle and all his army were lost. Then the dragon dazedly flew into the misted mountains, never to be seen again, except once when it was claimed that the dragon endlessly struggled with a griffin for the control of the mountains. But such tales are not to be believed. When the lad, the maiden, and their two knights returned to the court, the kingdom celebrated with great pomp. The royal advisers used their knowledge, and soon were able to transform hawk and mouse and squirrel and bird to their right shapes. "'Truly, this is a blessed day,' said the emperor. "'But we still have no heir for the kingdom. Both of you have done much to help save our lands. How may we choose between you?' "'With your majesty's permission,' said the lad, "'I have looked on this young maiden.' and find her most pleasant and kind. If she will consent, we may be married and share in the kingdom. With all my heart, dear emperor, said the maiden, let it be so. And so the empire was happy. The lad married the maiden who wore a dress of white, with a train so long the church needed to be lengthened. The next day they were coronated prince and princess of the land and their two knights were made dukes, and the man who had been a hawk married she who had been a squirrel, and the man who had been a mouse married she who had been a bird. And if the story were to end here, you should think that it was just about right. But you'd be wrong, for the story is not over until I tell you. They lived happily ever after. <laughs>